Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. Another episode and this one, oh, I'm dead excited, I have to say, I've been looking forward to this, and maybe from a personal perspective, but also because I think so many of you guys are going to be really interested in this conversation. I have a professional organiser. Now, it sounds ironic that someone with ADHD would be a professional organiser, but we have Vicky Silverthorne here, and she's been a professional organiser for about 12 years and helping women, people, not just women, from all walks of life declutter and organise their homes. And she believes that well-being starts at home, and if your home is in shape, other elements of your life will follow, which for me, I just, you know, 100% agree with that because I get into sensory overload if I, my house is a mess, if I've got crumbs on the side, if the kitchen table's full of papers, I turn into the worst version of myself when my house is untidy and my kids leave crap everywhere. Um, so I actually need you in my life. <laughs> I just spend all my time going, ah, this house, this house, picking up things. And I waste so much energy constantly tidying. I, I, I envy people that can walk past mess. I envy people that can just just see through the mess. Um, so Vicky, welcome to the podcast. And I know that this is going to be quite an interesting conversation. Now, Vicky was diagnosed only a few months ago with ADHD. Um, so I'm interested to hear your story. So welcome. Thank you so much. Honestly, thank you so much for having me on. Yes. yes. And you've written a book as well, haven't you, Vicky? Yeah, yeah. That was back in, God, it must be back in 2016, just okay. as the kind of organizational mania was kicking off yeah start with your sock drawer that's what it's called because I totally believe in starting small if you're if you're finding it hard to organize your life start with something small and you won't believe the buzz you get even from doing something like a sock drawer oh I totally resonate with that the amount of joy that I got over lockdown when I cleared out my bathroom cupboards I felt like a new woman. I was like, why have I not done this before? And then I've not done it since. So I'm now thinking my bathroom drawer needs another clear out. But let's just take a step back. How are you a declutter and or an organiser with ADHD? <laughs> Talk right. me through this one. Yeah, so so as I sort of now know one of the big traits, and I'm so early into this, so if I use any of the wrong terminology or anything, I'm apologising in advance. But yeah, I believe one of the big traits with so I've been diagnosed with combined ADHD so one of the big traits is messiness I believe this is this is what I think that for me I put my coping mechanism in place obviously many many years before I knew what it was that I had I think I also made a big difference because I lived in a you know family of five I had two big brothers who were very messy my mum was actually incredibly messy which has made me think since then, you know, did she have it? Who knows? Um, and I didn't like it. I knew back then, even from a young age of like eight, nine, you know, subconsciously, I couldn't function in it. I hated it. I didn't like it at all. I couldn't think clearly. So my little cocoon, my bedroom was incredibly organized. And looking back at my younger self, that was absolutely my coping mechanism. I knew that kept me calm. There was something in me that kept making me they organized. And honestly, you know, if you looked at the house and someone walked around, they'd see sort of mess, 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 mess. They'd come into my bedroom and it was absolutely fine. 
And that's how I slept better. I had horrific insomnia as a child. I mean, absolutely horrific. Again, probably ADHD that I didn't know about. Um, But yeah, I I think that was built into me. And recognising, as you have just said, you know, many of the positives that come from being organised, but recognising for me how I could function better, how I could stay more organised, how I could be, you know, I'm going to list a few more things, the benefits now, but more productive. You know, the massive effect actually it has on relationships. The studies that have been done are huge on mood, on the effect it can have on people with depression, um, anxiety. So, yeah, that that's something since diagnosis I've thought about a lot. Because I've carried that OCD sort of throughout my life, but very much a bit more control about it. And just to add, although I'm an organiser, my OCD has got zero to do with my home and the positioning of objects and it having to be immaculate the whole time and that's not me and that's not what my organization is about at all but it was more about certain rituals I still have to look under my bed every night I mean religiously look under my bed every night and and sort of make sure the curtains are shut with no gaps and tiny things but I've definitely learned to control it yeah I mean I do you know OCD and ADHD are are very much connected and so you're sort of describing patterns that I think a lot of people probably can can relate to um and then it's sort of just going with regards to your career and how this sort of took a turn I was reading on your website before that and it's sort of very it popped out now that you probably wrote your your website copy before your ADHD diagnosis was that you couldn't quite find a career that worked for you and you'd sort of gone and, and done quite a few different things things looking back now was it hard for you to be able to settle on something that you felt resonated yeah. how did you kind of know that this was going to be your niche like where did that come from yeah so it's again since diagnosis is going to come that sentence could come up a lot but since I mentioned um I, now I look back so I, I started my career really as a PA early 20s but I found it very 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 hard and I don't mean like the jobs that you have to do as a PA but more the again realistically now I see that the tasks on my to-do list how to get them flowing and get them done I'm sure I found it a lot harder um, logistically to do that admin side of things so I went from being you know PA to professional golfers then I moved up to London was PA to professional footballers and then I was PA to Lily Allen and and the great thing about the Lily Allen job is so much of the work was sort of physical PAing I was you know dashing out and going here and going there which meant I was less on the laptop and and that is what I hooked onto after all those years of really battling what actually happened when I was working for Lily was just towards the end just before I was sort of leaving and I was going to start my business you know I had I don't even know what to call it a massive meltdown a massive burnout um back in about 2010 and it got to the point where I was crying a lot I was very anxious but how I felt and I was clear to the day how I felt was I felt like my head was full and every time someone asked me to do something or even said oh we should put a date in for the diary if there was anything that I had to do I just couldn't handle it I felt sick I wanted to squirrel away and it was honestly the scariest, worst time. At the time, I don't feel like mental health was spoken about as it is now, all these years on, but I was struggling so much. I didn't want someone to speak around me almost because I felt like it was making my brain overflow with information. And it was a really dark time for me. I actually went on antidepressants um, for three years. They were brilliant but I didn't fully understand why I was going through that. I honestly thought I was going a bit crazy. Again, now, since diagnosis, it explains so much. Like, I'm not meant to sit at a laptop and work. That is not what I'm meant to be. But I feel like because I had no set career path from a young age, I fell into being a PA. And, but, but sitting in an office for me on a laptop was torturous. And even now, my definition of success is if I can ever get to the point where I can give my laptop away and I don't ever have to, because even now I open it up and honestly, the instant anxiety and slight nausea, nausea is real. And it's, 
it is getting worse over the years. I don't know if that's anything to do with age, but I am not made to sit on a laptop. I can't bear a to-do list. My to-do list consists of a piece of paper, a big felt-tip pen, and writing three things on it. And I am thrilled when I get through that. I can then get another piece of paper and write three things on it. I can't do write that to-do list on technology. I despise technology. I can't work with it. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, listen, this is music to my ears because I like so resonate with that. It's, you know, sadly, we are the products of a society which is very technology based. And that now we are, you know, if we don't fit into that mold and then we can't sit at a desk for eight hours and we can't operate, you know, just sitting and working on a laptop, then there's something wrong with us. But actually, you know, back in the industrial times, being out busy and using our body and being innovative and entrepreneurial, that was what was being celebrated. But now it's sort of like, just be a robot behind a computer and kind of just sit. So, yeah. So it's almost like I personally think that the way our brains work is the way it's, you know, we're not the neurodiverse ones. We're the, we're the ones that get, get shit done. Um, but it has to be done in our, in our way, but not in a way that is painted like productivity isn't painted I think it's just we think that productivity should look that way. And when we when we can't do it that way, then there's something wrong with us. But actually, the way we are productive is absolutely fine. It just looks different. And, you know, even in this, you know, in this day and age where stuff and materialism and I think with ADHD coming back to kind of like what you do, um, especially maybe I'll just use myself, you know, clutter. It's just so much stuff, like stuff everywhere, like if my husband orders another bloody Amazon box of things and I'm like, stop ordering things because I've got to get more things out the house because I can't do, you know, I've got like cupboards that I just want, I don't know what to do with. And Honestly, absolutely. And I cannot, and I'm so sorry interrupting, but I cannot, I cannot put across enough that the magic that, that the difference in my life that having less gives me you start to lose because people like that I'm sentimental and I'm you know understandably but put your mental health first ditch the stuff you don't need in your life the magic answer for us is to have less stuff to have 50% of the stuff in your house you wouldn't even notice it on a day-to-day basis I totally believe that take 50% of all the cupboards contents everything away you day-to-day you won't notice. Your life won't be any different. And I cannot push it enough. That is the magic answer. That will change your productivity. That will help you see more clearly. It gives you this unbelievable kick of adrenaline when you're doing it, which is great for us, which is great for us too. Um, But be slightly brave and try getting rid of a few things that you think you cannot live without and you're so attached to. Try it. Live for a few days without it there it's gone and you'll be I think you'll be like you know what that was easier than I thought it would be I feel better now that cupboard's clear I don't care about the thing that I threw away let's get the rest out test it the waters but honestly it's it is the magic answer that's what I believe having less stuff simple as it's not about the massive white baskets with labels on in your cupboards I believe that can almost be detrimental to to try and implement that level of organization. It's not about that. Ignore what you see on some of the Instagrams. um, Ignore what you see on some of these programs. The goal isn't white baskets labeled every single thing in a basket in your whole house. Doesn't need to be that severe organization. Um, Just needs to be, as I always say, my little saying is a friendly level of organization. Doable, achievable, manageable, not OTT. But it is life changing. Honestly, it will change your life. It really will. And you're I totally I'm I'm on board with this because again, coming back to my husband, he is a great declutterer. He's not sentimental like I am. And so I have I'm hugely sentimental, which I think comes with ADHD. Um my mum, I hope she's not listening to this, but I think she's a hoarder. Um, she is, and I know that's an ADHD trait as well. Maybe it's an executive functioning side as well, but for some reason we we collect stuff. 
But that's also because we have a lot of hobbies and then we get bored of the hobbies. So, you know, the amount of people I know that have taken up, um, you know, I'll just throw something like tapestry and then knitting and then um, and then candle making. And then we kind of go, no, 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 we'll come back to that. We'll definitely come back to that. And 15 years later, we still have all the candle making stuff in a box somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> because we can't get, you know, we can't get rid of it yeah. in case we decide one day we want to, you know, make yeah. a candle again. And so it does sometimes take someone like yourself or someone that is a bit more ruthless or hasn't got the same sentiments or probably doesn't have ADHD to come in and, you know, do that. I mean, I got my mum, again, this is before I was diagnosed and I now know that my, my it's my mum that has ADHD for sure. When she moved and downsized from our family home, she was so overwhelmed by having to declutter and to pack things up and know what, she just couldn't do it. I just paid, I said to her mum, I'm going to pay for a, you know, a clutter person, decluttering person, probably not to your standards, but it was a, la a local lady who would come in and just help her make decisions because she was in decision paralysis. Yeah. And that was more overwhelming for her than the actual moving of the house. It's like, what do I throw away? Like, what do I keep? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And, and going back to what you said there, um, you know, and I'm not necessarily talking about a hoarder, someone who has been diagnosed with hoarding disorder, but more to sort of, you know, ADHDs who um, have these certain traits like sentimentality, there are still ways and still discussions to be had. So what I don't want people to do is say, you know, I've got ADHD, therefore I'm sentimental, therefore I can't get rid of stuff. There's still so much scope to work on that. And one thing about sentimentality, just something I'd say to people and it often clicks something is what we tend to do is we deep down, we kind of don't want to get rid of something. We say it's sentimental. But actually, the reality is it's not sentimental. We've just had it for a really, really long time. And what that sometimes does is by keeping those objects that we've just had for a really long time, it kind of overshadows the actual beautiful, wonderful, sentimental pieces. And, and that's a different way of looking at it. And that's something that often changes the way when I'm working with people that, that they can think about their stuff. And they're like, Do you know what, I'm, you're right. You know, I've had these jeans 20 years. Just because I've had them 20 years, I don't know why I'm saying they're sentimental. They're not. I've just had them 20 years. And you don't want that to overshadow, like, you know, for me, I've got um, uh, one of my mum's cardigans. You know, my mum passed away tens of years ago. That's sentimental to me. You know, I still pick it up and sort of give it a snuggle and a sniff and a, you know, a cuddle, whatever. Um, but I was putting the same label on something I'd just owned for a long time, and it's not. So rather than have this massive pile of sentimental, I've now got sort of three or four items from from mum and, and another relative that, that are there and they're more special I can see them and they're special they're not overcrowded they're not in a big box because I had to put them away because there's so much stuff um so there are different ways of looking um at these sort of labels that we put on certain things when it comes to clutter yeah I mean I'm I'm thinking I've got things from my grandma they've been in my wardrobe now like a couple of cardigans and blouses and things like that but in my head, I'm like, I feel so guilty giving them away. But they're just, you know, they're in my wardrobe. And I think, well, what am I going to do with them? Like, do I want to pass on more stuff to my kids? And that's another thing, isn't it? Like with the guilt. And I think we we sense and feel that a lot. And so if things are passed down to us and the sentimentality and the guilt kind of kick in. But then, you know, something happens to us and our kids or like, you know, we're going to have to kind of declutter our parents' houses and that's what I suffer with is, you know, I feel so guilty. It's just, I get wracked with guilt. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's such a strong emotion that's so connected to all of this. I think there has to be, so, so I had a relative that passed away several years ago and it was my job to to clear his house. Now I describe him as sort of, you know, living in an, with an average amount of stuff. But when I say I had to take month and a half of work that was really hard travel back and forth declutter find homes for things deal with all the guilt of where to find things god I've got to sell this because how can I house all this stuff in my home you know do we want to leave that for our children times 10 sometimes um it's a huge huge thing and again I think holding on to a couple of things and putting them in a box so that when you you know, pull them out, you see them and you feel happy and you remember that person. Nothing wrong with that at all. But a really interesting thing to know is that a photograph of an object also sparks the same emotion. 
um, what I do with a lot of my clients and actually sometimes children I've worked with uh, with their old toys and stuff is to take photographs and put the photographs in a box um, and when they pick them up and when they look through it sparks the same emotion and um, also what we don't want to do is is for these items to spoil because imagine 10 years you know opening something up and the moths have got it or when actually that will bring a skill why didn't we give it to a charity shop and that cool student who looks great in everything, buy it, give it another 10 years of life. You know, there's there's such a lot to talk about with it, but it's definitely worth having the conversations. You know, even doing this and even people listening out there to what we're talking about in these important discussions, I know that there'll be a couple at least who go, do you know what, I listened to that, spark something in me. You know, let's give them that kick of adrenaline and it sparked something in me and I did a big declutter and a big clear out. Yeah, I think there's a time in my cycle where I'm a lot more ruthless because I remember not long ago doing this huge clear out. And I, again, I always come back to the ADHD, but I do think sometimes we just kind of like it was like the most random time. I was meant to be doing something else and I decided there and then I had to do the declutter in the wardrobe and there was probably loads of other things. There was something in the oven probably and I just yeah. pulled out hangers and rails and rails of clothes and I thought, if I don't kind of jump on this momentum, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to put everything back in my cupboard. And so I was like a crazy woman. I was like pulling, 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 bin bags, throwing. Blah, blah, blah. My husband came and he was like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, don't interrupt me because I'm going to lose my momentum. Yeah. And I took it all to the charity shop and I dumped it in the charity shop and I sped out. And I felt amazing. And then a few weeks later, I was like, where is that dress? Where is that dress? And I'd given it away. Anyway, it didn't matter yeah. because I was so happy that I'd done that. But I think sometimes we can just, if there's a, if there's a spark there or there's just something, just do it because otherwise it doesn't get, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Roll with it for sure. And you know, that decision-making thing is, it's very, you know, it was very impulsive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good to sort of step back and sort of say it's something I've definitely learned to do and be like, okay, am I on one here or do yes. I really want to get rid of this? <laughs> or am I just on one? Yeah. <laughs> it's good to take a step back and think like that because, you know, the last thing I'd want anyone to do is sort of get rid of something and then be a bit sad about it a few months later. But actually, the worst thing that can happen if you can get, if you get rid of something that you then regret, the worst thing that is going to happen is a thought. Yes. And that's it. That's it. And that's good for people to know too. What if I get rid of it and then I want it back? It's fine. You'll still be okay. Life will still be okay. You'll just be a bit like, oh, why did I do that? I need to think a bit more next time. I didn't want to get rid of that. I could use that. And, but that's it. It's a thought. You won't then carry that for the next six weeks. You'll, you'll have that thought and then life goes on. Um, and that's what you learn to do. You have that thought. You go, oh, okay, a bit too impulsive there. And then life goes on. And um, it really does. I love the psychology behind it. I love, yeah, the psychology and I love how you reframe everything and you're giving people permission to kind of feel the sadness and the guilt and the regret and all the, the fear that does come up when you declutter because, you know, every item that we have in a house is, oh, you know, what happens if we need it? What happens if this person comes or, you know, we need an extra pillow or an extra... There's all the what ifs, but actually it's always going to be a good thing, isn't it? Because, you know, yeah. tidy, like you say, tidy house, tidy home, it all just kind of comes back to our emotional well-being as well. So do you, do you work a lot with that when you are helping people? There must be a lot of emotion, you know, there, especially, you know, maybe someone's grieving or maybe there's a house move and the change of circumstances. It can't just be a, a materialistic declutter. There's a lot of emotions involved as well, I can I can guess. There really are. Yeah, there's a huge amount of emotions. You know, you touched on a, a couple of the sort of very frequent bookings that we do. We do declutters before people move. You know, they can have lived in their home for 25 years, their family home, their children have grown up, moved out. Um, we've worked with people whose partners have died unexpectedly last minute also a lot of and I want to say women because it is women usually who work with who have got divorced you know and that's a huge huge thing um to deal with and, and we love helping with that side of things as well every single situation you can think of you know having their first child having the third child getting married moving in with someone collating space together every situation you can think of we we deal with every, every month every year um 
the emotional side is big. And that's why it's important to say that it's not just like it is on TV. There aren't like 10 people coming in. There's no one saying, oh, come on, this is awful. Of course you don't need that. How ridiculous. It's not like it is on TV. Every decision that is made on the day is our client's decision. That's really important to say. If a client only gets rid of three items, they get rid of three items. We're not there to force them to get rid of things and they don't get brownie points for everything they get rid of. However, naturally, when we're there, something switches. The door can open, they can be slightly nervous, they can consistently tell us, I'm, I'm really worried about this, I'm really anxious. Honestly, within 20, 30 minutes, the majority of clients are smiling, buzzing, they're getting that kick of adrenaline, ADHD or not. They're getting that kick of adrenaline going, oh my goodness, I didn't think I'd get rid of that. And they shock themselves. So many of them do. They just start to love it. And I'm telling anyone, the buzz of decluttering and getting organized lasts weeks, months, in comparison to the buzz of shopping, which can sometimes last minutes or a day or the first time you've worn something, then it's gone. And, and that, is, that is real. That is totally, totally true. It, it lasts because you're getting that constant visual um, positivity um, when you declutter. You're getting the enjoyment every time you open your meat drawer or your, your beautiful wardrobe or your kitchen cupboards and nothing falls out anymore. Um, and, and what I'm a massive advocate for is to keep it simple. Keep the systems you put in place simple. Um, strip back to basics the way we do, way we do anything. No gimmicky, plasticky things. No you know again slightly different and and what i'm really pushing at the moment as we touched on earlier is stop over organizing let's let's stop over organizing because over organized six months later usually equals to a massive plastic going to landfill when you realize as i said earlier, the way to organize is not just to buy a load of white baskets and stick labels on them oh yes i mean and i know for myself i my biggest values are space flexibility freedom like room to breathe and that is just in my house alone like I can just look around and look at a clean you know a surface and there's not loads of piles of papers and bills and you know I, you can't put money on something like that I can't put money on a living room that hasn't got bloody school bags and shoes everywhere and you know, when I went out, I remember during the pandemic, we bought um, like a new cloakroom organizing unit thing from Ikea or whatever. And then we put some boxes, you know, somewhere for my kids to put all their trainers and football boots because the football boots were driving me insane. The trainers in the doorway. And so this had an area where I could put like this, hang the school bags on and they could put their shoes on. And honestly, I was like the happiest person for about yeah. a week. And then the novelty wore off for them and then the bloody shoes went back to the back yeah. door again. And I was just like, oh, but. <laughs> it's hard when you've got children as well, because they do come yes. with a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, I've only got one child, but she still comes with a lot of stuff. However, the benefit here also, a really big one to pick up on is the less stuff you have and the more basic the systems of organization, the easier it is to tidy up, and that's a big part of it too. So kids are going to come with a lot of stuff, but but if the systems implemented are very stripped back to basics, then you the goal is I can tidy up each little section of my home in ten minutes, um, and and that's definitely what I've what I've got to, and there really aren't many labels inside. <laughs> So living in a busy household where I'm constantly switching tasks, which we all know isn't that easy for the ADHD brain, I've recently been using a new tool to help me focus and concentrate while getting my work done. I came across Brain FM after someone else with ADHD recommended it to me, and wow, I'm so glad I discovered it. Brain FM has access to over a thousand tracks across a wide range of different music genres and nature soundscapes, all specifically designed to help you focus, sleep, relax and meditate. And if you are anything like me, I can get easily distracted by outside noises and having the Brain FM app on my phone is a quick option to help me do what I want to do distraction free. But here's the best bit if you're interested in the neuroscience like me. 
Brain FM has based all their chosen tracks on neuroscience and psychology, so you can discover the perfect music for your brain by personalising science-based features like neural effect and music complexity. And the focus music is made to help you work better by blending into the background so you can focus distraction free. And trust me, it works. I've been so productive using Brain FM. And this is all the while stimulating the brain with gentle rhythmic pulses in the music that supports sustained attention. Now, if this is something that you feel that you need in your life, and trust me, I would not be promoting it if I didn't think it was worthwhile. I've got a discount code for you. So you can head to brain.fm forward slash ADHD women's wellbeing. That's brain.fm forward slash ADHD women's wellbeing. And I've got a code for you, which is ADHD women's wellbeing. You can start your free trial straight away. And then you get the discount when they decide to charge you. All the details I will put on my show notes. So if you go to brain.fm, ADHD Women's Wellbeing, and use the coupon code ADHD Women's Wellbeing. So tell me, obviously, you started your business before you became a mum, and now you adopted a little girl, and things have probably changed in your life a little bit. And now you are, you know, a single parent, you're living at home, you're, you've got a child, you're also working. How has that changed the way you keep your house and, and what, and what systems do you use to keep, you know, especially now that you have the ADHD awareness, now that you understand where the triggers are and, and what may sort of bring it more anxiety, how has that sort of helped play into what you do? Yeah, it's it's I had a I had a really before my daughter arrived with me, I had a, a huge buzz of excitement about the organizational side of having a child. Um and I kind of knew how I was gonna do it, you know. So so to give you a, a few things that I do. So one is she has a chest of drawers and a tiny rail, and that's my limit to how many clothes she can have at one time. There are a few seasonal items stored under a bed in a drawer. But I keep it that basic. Seasonal items and yeah, a few items that are too big under the bed, uh, a drawer, a chest of drawers, that's that's the limit, and a tiny rail above it. No more. That that was really helpful for me. If it starts cramming in and I can't fit things in, it's time to do a clear out. Really basic. And um, the other thing was toys. We've got a I've got a spare room, so immediately I knew I didn't want it to be a spare room. So I, I got a, a Murphy bed, a bed that goes into a cupboard. So the purpose of the room isn't the spare room, which is used every now and then. It's a playroom day to day. Um, and I simply got these these baskets, these round baskets, and they each have a basic category. And subcategories hurt my head. They're too complicated to tidy up. I don't like color coding. I don't like over-labeling, believe it or not. Um, some people like that. That's fine. That helps. But I don't like over-labeling. So Three different size baskets for her is great. One has vehicles, one has blocks, one has a mixture. She knows where they, they go just from the size of this box. And I love that. And it's not got a color, it's not got a label. I say, get your bar, you know, get your basket blocks, we'll do some blocks. And she knows exactly which one to go to. Um, but also nothing is crammed in cupboards for her. I limit everything that we have, not in a not in a boring way. You know, she's still got plenty, but you know, each cupboard is you open it up and it's so easy to get one or two or three items that's in there. There's nothing stacked, piled, because I believe, especially with children, if something's stacked or piled, it almost becomes invisible to them. Um, and often I, I would argue, you know, when someone says, oh, it's their favourite toy, they play with it all the time. I think, right, let's look around where their to toys are stored. And I think, is, it, is this their favourite toy? Are these few things their favourite toys? Or can they just not see the rest of them because they're all it's almost unachievable to get to them it's too much hassle um and it's the same for us if, if there's a disorganized cupboard are we ever going to go to the effort to get the thing right at the back if we've got two minutes before we've got a rush to work and grab something we're not we're just not going to do that um so it's been an utter joy in that way to be honest organizing her stuff and when i say i can tidy up the playroom five ten minutes max tidy up her clothes five ten minutes the kitchen, five, 10 minutes. Every room is a five or a 10 minute little little section of how long it takes me to tidy up. And that is a joy for me. And again, this is what I have done before the diagnosis. So 
that's what I'd call my coping mechanism. And actually, when I did get diagnosed, it made me really happy that I lived the way that I do. I'm not a minimalist at all. You'd come into my house and you'd be like, hold on, I thought fresh and organised, everything would be immaculate and in line. And it's not that I don't want that. I want people to come in my home, feel comfortable. If they spill something, it's okay. If something's a bit of a mess and the kids, you know, empty all the toy, but I don't care. It's great. I love that. It's how it should be. But I know I can tidy up in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad. I feel quite proud that I implemented that before the diagnosis. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is that I hear this a lot with people who have sort of had late in life diagnoses that we intuitively know that we have to help our brains. Like we don't know what it is. Like we, you didn't have the label of the ADHD, but we just knew intuitively that we struggled with certain things. Like certain things have been, you know, were a challenge, whether it is our mental health, whether it is organization, um, whether it's sort of sleep or anything. And we've sort of put systems in place that work for us that may not work for other people because we you know we know it's interesting that you had come up with these very simple solutions like complexity and like anything complicated wasn't for you i'm wondering if that's why you've become so successful because you're attuning into maybe clients that are also undiagnosed at adhd who are struggling and they just need simple quick solutions that aren't going to be overwhelming that aren't going to be too much for them to maintain because there's there's one thing you coming in and doing this amazing organizing and tidying the other thing is maintaining it and sustaining because then you feel bad you're like I've spent all this money and now I can't sustain it and for me you know I just need everything has to be simple you know the same as you I have to have written lists on a piece of paper and I throw that piece of paper in the bin you know the amount of times I've been asked to do by like you know assistants just put a Trello board do a Trello board I'm like look at it and I go this is making my skin crawl I just like never want to see a Trello board but just give me a piece of paper yeah (laughs) so I guess you've been talking to your clients on the level that they need to be talked to because you understand their brains but all unknowingly that's my dissection of the situation I completely agree and I do think that having ADHD definitely has made me good at my job I think it's why I started my job I think it's why I hooked on to the fact that I need to ditch a job with admin although that's impossible when you run a business um but and and get into the physical work, the physical work. When I started this business, there was there weren't really many professional organisers around. Um, and to do a physical job, you know, I'm not a great gardener. I don't like mild and dirt and everything like that. So I wasn't going to become a gardener, even though that's a physical job. And you know, labourer, don't think I'm strong enough. And you know, there are all these other physical jobs, but they just didn't suit me. So I felt like I didn't really have a choice until suddenly, this came into my head and I started seeing things that were like, hold on, professional, what's that? This is in America, not that many in the UK. Someone came into Lily's house and did her wardrobe and was sort of a stylist. And I thought, well, the styling bit sounds too complicated, but I could do that bit. I could do it all over the house. And I totally believe my ADHD brain hooked onto, and it was great because not everyone thought I was balmy. And I, I love that too. I don't know if there's something to say there enjoying that you're a little bit weird but I kind of like that I don't know if everyone necessarily believed that I could make it work or that it was going to be a thing you know I love it 10 years down the the road 20 years down the road that it's massive now I mean I always wish I could go back in time and and know how big it was going to be but yeah it's, it's definitely the ADHD that 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 took me on this path and you know, I'm not quite there in my head yet where, you know, I know people say it's a superpower and I'm not quite there yet because I do feel like there's a hell of a lot I need to digest about my life and my past life. And I feel a bit sorry sometimes for the me as a teenager. And, you know, I know the way I think now was different. I understand why I struggled so much more. Yeah, I'd see people, so many people around me who didn't seem to be as deep thinking and, and as you know, their brains weren't as on fire. And they, like you said earlier, you said something, they just have internal calm. I've never felt internal calm. I don't ever remember remember feeling internal calm. I feel like my brain is, well, as the guy actually who who diagnosed me, he said, I said, 
combined, but I'm not hyperactive physically. And he said, no, 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 it's your brain that's hyperactive. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. Oh my God, is it hyperactive? It's so hyperactive 24 seven and it's exhausting and it's hard. And I said to someone, I got a bit emotional actually, a group of friends and we were talking about it the other day. And I, and I actually started crying when I said it, but I said, God, it really explains to me why I find life so hard sometimes on a day-to-day basis. I don't breeze through life because my thinking gets in the way. Um, and, and talking about, again, coping mechanisms, before I adopted my little girl, I worked with a happiness coach. I'm so glad I did. She's called Steph Peltier. She's she's wonderful. Um, she studied at Berkeley within the science of happiness, which again, look into anyone looking into wonderful. And then I worked with her for the months leading up to when I adopted, and it was the best thing I ever did. I've never felt so calm. I've never felt so ready. You know, the emotional ups and downs with going through the adoption process was pretty big. Although I enjoyed it, it was pretty big. I enjoyed it because obviously it was my focus subject at the time, but it was a lot to deal with and she helped me no end. And, you know, I do owe a hell of a lot to her because, you know, even now we dip in and out um, of working together and she teaches me how to calm and we meditate. And it's just a really great thing, I think, for the ADHD mind. Um, it certainly is again without being dramatic it's it's very life-changing it's been very life-changing for me working with her yeah I can't imagine the process of adoption I can't imagine the mental headspace the emotions the overwhelm all of that the process of the waiting and the not knowing and I mean I it must have had such a huge impact on you and then obviously going through the process of when when you know she arrived as well how did your ADHD show up for you to go and get the diagnosis? And I guess how has that awareness now helped you move forwards, you know, as a mum, a single mum, you know, of an adopted child? Yeah. Um, God, there's, I think there's so many factors to it. I think I'm going to start with the negative because let's get it over with. I think the negative was when, so there's this thing where where adopted children, when they come to you, they can experience delayed trauma. Um, so months in, um, when, you know, the sort of hype's gone slightly, you know, comparing it to when someone had the baby, I suppose, you know, initially everyone's like, oh, my God, this. But when the hype had gone slightly months, months down the line, she really started having a horrific time in the night. I mean, hours and hours and hours of screaming, screaming, screaming. And it was extremely lonely time for me. And the negative was my adrenaline every single night was up so high. It was, my brain was just wrecked. My energy was wrecked. My mental health was pretty wrecked. I knew I was capable and I made sure I was capable. So, you know, in the middle of the night, that horrificness, you know, wake up, it's a new day, talk to friends. But the reality of it was people didn't, know and couldn't relate to what I was experiencing because she's not a newborn and she wasn't a newborn um, and it wasn't just a bit of sleep progression on the scale that everybody else can look into it was horrific delayed trauma I believe it was um, and it went on for months and it was really torturous and very very hard Um, and I think not being able to come down from that I was sort of on this permanent adrenaline ride and that was I think the negatives is that associated to ADHD I'm not sure I I think a lot of it was I think it's your nervous system your nervous system and your you know your hyper vigilance of knowing that she was going to wake up and that you're there to protect her and knowing that there was trauma involved and your nervous system's just like you know on fight mode the whole time definitely so that, that was, I think, that the negative and the hard bit. Again, that could be any parent going through that. That could be, um, I'm not saying it's worse than when people have new, but I have no idea because I haven't gone through that. But I do know it was very hard. It was very lonely. And I couldn't come down from it at all for, for a very long time. Um, and then that anxiety lasted a long time in, in the middle of the night. 
you know, I'd hear her turning over, I'd hear a little noise and I'd instantly be awake and anxiety through the roof and I'd be then awake for an hour trying to calm down and then she'd actually get up or wake up. It was just very hard and, and I, I relied on friends a lot because I'm a solo parent, I relied on friends a lot um, to sort of try and help me through that. At the same time, it was it was a very different experience because she is adopted. So that was kind of the negative, I think. The positive was I knew what I had to do in order to keep sane in that period of being a new mom with an adopted child. Um, and for me, it was walking, going out, keeping a basic routine um, throughout the day. Very basic, because I find it very hard sticking to anything routine. <laughs> um, and we are, oh God, sometimes I'd walk with her for three hours a day. And it was just wonderful. We'd be in nature constantly. I'm very lucky I've got a few gardens just down the road. And I knew even before she arrived with me that it would be my saviour. And it was. And I think my friends must think I'm so boring because every time they'd come up, they'd say, Where should, what should we do? Where should we get? And I'm, Kew Gardens, Kew Gardens. <laughs> honestly, it ended up being my safe place in my head when I was exhausted or tired or by myself or lonely. And actually still, I get there twice a week, I'd say. And it's our like little place. Yeah. <laughs> so just the injection of nature. You look up and all you see is trees. And I think I need that consistently and I miss it if I don't get it. If I got into a whirlwind of work and, you know, life takes over and she's, if she's poorly and we've stayed in too much, I know that that's my injection of mental health there is, you know, like everybody really is to get out in nature and start walking. Oh, oh my God, yeah. yeah. That was my saviour as well. I used to, I was laughing because, you know, when I had my first son, I used to be out walking three or four hours a day. Um, and that was my, again, before diagnosis, I knew that movement, you know, increases the serotonin and the, and the endorphins in your body and all of that. So I knew ment mental health-wise, I was helping myself because if I was stuck in, I felt my mood drop you know, and I never suffered from postnatal depression, thankfully. And I wonder if that's because I was so, such a walker. I was, and I had to be out walking outside, no matter what the rain was, you know, the weather, I was just outside, the baby would go under a plastic sheet if they needed to, and, and that would be it. And people would just see me walking. Um, and so again, it's that intuitive kind of inner knowing that nature or movement was, you know, was something that was going to see you through a very hard, difficult time. Um, I think it's fascinating, you know, how we learn to eventually, I mean, listen, there's a lot of people here on the, you know, listening to the podcast who are either just getting, um, you know, just suddenly coming to this realisation that what they've been dealing with their whole life is ADHD, or they may have just had a diagnosis. And look back, there's a lot of kind of self-reflection that goes on after a diagnosis of all the things that did work and didn't work and what we can bring more into our lives, what we need to, you know, you know, step away from, building better boundaries. And, you know, I think it's just a constant learning job. But I mean, it's been fascinating talking to you and, you know, amazing to hear how you help people, but also your story of adoption and how you came to that realization yourself about ADHD. And, and, and I wonder now listening, people listening to this, if they will get that little kickstart into oh, decluttering okay. and organizing their house, I'd love to hear from you if you are. Vicky, tell people how, you know, they can work with you if they're not living in the UK or, the, you know, not living nearby. Do you have online options? What can you help people with? Yeah, so my website is is youneedavicky.com and that's how really to get in touch. Um, I need to start doing more online options. You just hit the nail on the head. Finding the time to do it is extremely hard, but that's what I want to do. I'd love to focus more on what I can create for people that aren't necessarily going to book or don't live nearby, that would be fantastic. But obviously, <laughs> getting that together and organising it, I find it extremely hard. Um, Instagram and one as well, which is at you need a Vicky. I'll often drop sort of little tips on there um, and try to sort of inspire people. And then I do, I frequently kind of do talks. I'm speaking at grand design soon um and I often get invited to do things like that so 
yeah, keep keep an eye on the website, sign up to the newsletter, and all our news is always sort of posted on there only once a month because I learned that I can't do more than that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Well, I have a ADHD women's collective and we have about 85 women in there and it's a membership. And I know if you would be interested to come on and do a workshop, you know, like quite a practical workshop for 85 women with ADHD who would love to hear any of your tips and, you know, I, I would love to invite you onto that. So if that's... 100%. <laughs> I'm in. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. So if if you're listening to this now and you want to hear more from Vicky, you need to go and have a little nosy at the membership. And so, you know, people can can learn from you because I think what you have um, to offer, um, it sounds so simple, but for so many of us just to get cross cross that threshold of walking into a cupboard or um a closet and knowing where to start is what we need we need our hand holding so if you could hold our hand for a bit longer come into the membership yeah we'd love we'd love to have you thank you oh brilliant thank you so much vicky and i will see you very soon so that's today's episode done did what we talk about resonate with you I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time. So as this podcast has grown, I've wanted to create a space for more like-minded women um, to join and be able to access more of my resources and workshops. And that is why I've created the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I am absolutely delighted to have this membership. There's so many of you on board already. We are having fantastic conversations. And what I'm promising you in this membership is that we are going to have at least one monthly live workshop. I'm bringing in lots of different guest experts, extra resources I'm not being able to provide on the podcast, conversations that, again, I haven't got time to provide on the podcast bringing you all my best resources, previous workshops, and just allowing things to flow when I'm finding interesting pieces of information, I'm sharing them on the platform. So if you are interested in being part of a group of like-minded people who wants to learn more about their ADHD, learn more how to help yourself, empower yourself with new holistic emotional and well-being practices, then I would absolutely love it if you came and joined us in the collective. If you're interested, you can come and have a little nosy, come and see what it's all about. I've got information on the show notes of this podcast. If you head to my website, which is coachingbykate.me.uk, or if you go to Patreon and you search up ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective, you will find all the information there. I've kept it as um, affordable as possible. So it's much more affordable than one-to-one coaching. And for that, you get to have access to me. I am answering your questions live. I'm able to give you advice and insights and hopefully share some of the tips that I'm getting from working with so many of you. So if you just head to my show notes of the podcast, you will see all the details and I really hope to see you there.